Okay, so we were learning about Mashpia and Makabal. Mashpia and Makabal, they could be Be'erech to each other. What does Be'erech mean? Related. Right? Some relationship. And uh, it could be Be'enarech. Be'enarech means there's no relationship between the Mashpi and the Makabal because they're infinitely apart. So when you have a Mashpi and a Makabal, so that means there's a problem. If it's Be'enarech, the problem is how can there be interaction between the Mashpi and the Makabal? It's Be'enarech. So like in the example we gave of, uh, one example of Mashpi Makabal is Rav and Talmud, teacher and student. So a real Rav and Talmud are Be'en Aroich And we discussed yesterday, how do you measure if it's Be'erich or Be'enarich? How could you tell? But you do have a situation of Rav and Talmud where it's Be'en Aroich. No relationship. So how can the Rav, how can the teacher, how can he deliver his depth to the student? If his depth is infinitely higher than the student. So there's a problem. When you have a mashpina makabal, if it's which is a real mashpina makabal, then, then how do you have this relationship? How do you have this connection? How do you have this hashpah? Now, another example of Mashpi and Makabal is Umafli Lasses. What, what does Umafli Lasses mean? Umafli Lasses? There's wonders. Right? What are the wonders? The human body. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's the wonder of Mafli Lasses? Oh, it's like Mashpi. What's the wonder? Right? The merging of nefesh and guf. Right? And that's a problem because nefesh is ruchnius and the guf is gashmius. So how does a nefesh ruchni give chayis to guf gashmi? The nefesh and the guf, are they be'erich or be'inarich? They're be'inarich, they're infinitely apart. How does nefesh give life to the guf? So... One of the parts of the answer is umafli lasses. Mafli means that it's it's a pella. It means it's a miracle. It's a nest. It's an ongoing nest. Hashem is making the nest that the nefesh haruchni is giving life to the guf gashmi. That's a nest, and that's one of the interpretations of umafli lasses. Means umafli lasses. We remind ourselves this is a nest. If a person is looking for miracles, right here, just look, just look in the mirror, just look at yourself, or look at someone else. It's a living nest. Nefesh and guf, beinarach. How do they attach itself? Right? That's a nest. However, we mentioned yesterday that even though it's a nest, the mafli lasses, the nefesh and the guf, but even nisim, usually compackaged, 
with some type of tevadika sprinklings. Now, as Hashem has the ability to make a nest completely disregarding any teva, that's an option. But that's not usually the option Hashem chooses. Hashem will choose the option where there'll be a nest, but there'll be some packaging of teva also. Slight teva, more teva, you know, but some... Now this is true not only in nisim hamulubashim beteva, the nisim that are unclothed in teva, such as the nest of... Huh? No. Nisim hamulubashim, nisim unclothed in teva, such as... Purim. Purim, right? Purim nisim hamulubashim beteva. Which Purim? The or the the, the, the events? All of it. All of it, yeah. It's Nesim Lubish B'Tava. So then for sure, it's enclosed in Tava. But even in Nesim, which are Lumar Lumar Tava, hardly slaps in Tava, such as Kiris Yamsov, even those miracles which are higher than Tava, but there's some packaging of Tava. Very surface level, very thin. It doesn't take away the, the experience of the nest. You experience the nest. But there's some Tava there. For example, by Kiris Yamsov, Hashem blew a wind for the water to stand. Yeah, so it's true. Al Piteva, the wind will not make the water stand. Kechoyma. It's true. But Hashem could have done Kis Yamsu without a wind. He wanted it to be a wind. Some, some tracings of Teva. Some sprinkling of Teva. Okay. Likewise, when it comes to the, to the attachment of Nefesh and Gulf, it's true, it's a miracle. It's a nest. But just because it's a, map, a nest doesn't mean that there's no sprinklings of tap, there's no types of understanding. There can be understandings to a certain degree, and that doesn't take away from mafilasis, it's still a nest. An example for this would be that you have uh, three types of mitzvahs. You have the chukim, and you have the mishpatim, the chukim are the mitzvahs we don't know the reason. Mishpatim are the mitzvahs that we know reasons. Then you have the middle type of mitzvahs. What's the middle type of mitzvahs? What are they called? Eidos. Uh, Eidos, right? You have Eidos. So Eidos are those mitzvahs where if Hashem would not have told us, we would not know them. But once Hashem told us, Makes sense. What's an example of Eidos? Eating matzah and Pesach. Hashem wouldn't tell us. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. But Hashem tells us. He tells us the reason. It makes sense. Once He tells us. Mishpatim makes sense even if Hashem doesn't tell us. Hashem wouldn't say, don't murder. We, you know, 
makes sense to us with Hashem saying that. Honoring parents used to make sense in the olden days, you know, even with Hashem saying it. Now, even with Hashem saying it, it doesn't make sense. But, but it used to be, you know, it makes sense. I remember the olden days? It used to be such a thing called honoring parents. It made sense. Chukim are those mitzvahs which shotless. You know, you wear, you know, you wear a suit, you have to take it to the shotness, you know, to check it. Wool and linen, right? You have to check it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Why not? Why can't you wear shotness? What's the problem? So it's a chayk. Hashem said so. Now the Rambam makes a statement about chukim that uh, even though chukim is something we don't understand, there's even uh, a statement by the sages, Rashi brings it down, you have no permission to start thinking about them. It sounds a little bit like, don't, don't try to think, don't try to understand it. But the Rambam makes a statement, Rambam says, even the Chukim, try to understand them as much as you can. What you don't understand, you don't understand, but as much as you can, you should understand it. Now, even if you understand certain parts of Chukim, does that mean it's not a chayk? Does that mean, oh, now it turned, it transformed from a chayk to a mishpat? You know, like shatness, you know, wool and linen. So there's some reasons that wool is one level, I don't know, I don't know, and linen is another level. You know, there's gvura and there's chesed. You're not supposed to mix it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make a crisis in creation. Don't mix it. You know, there's some reasoning. So let's imagine you study the reasoning of shotness. So does it mean, ah, now that I have the reason, it's not a chayk anymore. We just made a geirus, we just made a conversion from a chayk to a mishpat, because we know the reason. Is that the way it goes? No, no, why not? Because even when you know the reason of chukim, you, you, you know that you don't know all of the reason. You know there's so much more you don't understand. Like you could detect that, you could see it. All you say is, I know parts of it, but you see that you don't know the whole thing. So it's still a chayk, just because you know a little bit of reason, it's still a chayk. In mishpat also, even mishpatim, we know the reasons. We don't know all the reasons of the mishpatim. We actually know there's quite a lot that we don't know. Every mishpat has details that we don't understand. But in general, in mishpat, you understand, it makes sense to our brains. A chayk generally doesn't make sense, even though some parts of it you might understand. Likewise, when it comes to miracles, nisim. There are nisim that are malubish and teva. They go into nature. Okay, then you have miracles that are lumay lumay teva. So even those, those miracles that are, that are lumay lumay teva, even though there's some parts of it that might make some sense, that follows some pattern, they follow some system, it doesn't mean it's not a miracle anymore. It's still a miracle higher than Tama. So likewise, when it comes to Neshama and Guf, the soul and the body, which is a miracle, because how does the Ruchnis and the Gashmis, how do they match? It doesn't make sense. But we saw that yesterday in the, in the, in the Mashal, just like you can't take a logic and explain that logic to a piece of wood, you can't explain logic to a rock. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are. You could be the best teacher. 
but never will you succeed to put seichel into a rock because a rock and seichel and logic they don't mix. They 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 have no connection. They don't relate to each other. It's bein aloich. Now, if that's bein aloich, then how much more so kalvachayim and nefesh and guf are bein aloich? They're infinitely apart. So th- this is a tremendous miracle. But nevertheless, after understanding it's a miracle, but there are some parts of it that we understand. So, so this is what we're going to discuss now, that uh, whenever you have this crisis of mashpi and mekabel, the crisis is they're bein they're infinitely apart, such as nefesh and guf, soul and body, they're infinitely apart, then how do they establish some type of relationship? How does the mashpia establish some type of ashpa? How does he give something to the makabal if it's beinaloich? So there are two systems that are used for the mashpia and the makabal to have a connection. Two systems. There are two different systems. And in a certain way, there are two opposite systems. So again, the, the problem we're dealing with is, is a crisis. When you have mashpi and makabo, they're bein how do they relate? That should be an impossibility. And the answer is, there are two ways to solve this problem. Two different ways, opposite ways. How they can nevertheless relate to each other. One approach is where the mashpia the giver, the mashpia, lowers itself down, waters down the ashpa, according to the proportion, according to the level of the makabal receiver. That's one approach, where the mashpia compromises its full integrity, its full impurity, to, to accommodate the fact that the makabal is in a lower level. That's one approach. There's another approach where the mashpia doesn't compromise its full intensity, what it stands for. It retains its status, no compromise, and yet it's able to give hashpa to the makabal. But how could that happen? It's bein so the answer would be that the Makabal doesn't really receive the Ashpah, doesn't really get the Ashpah. It, it's affected by the Ashpah. Ashpah means the influence. It's affected by it. But it doesn't really internalize it. So these are the two methods used when the Mashpia has to give Ashpah to the Makabal and it's Bein one approach is the mashpia will compromise the hashpah, lower it, it, it down. And the second approach is it doesn't water anything down, it stays as is, intact. And yet it has an influence, it gives the hashpah, but that means the makabal won't really receive it completely, entirely, internally. It'll be affected by it, it's not really going to receive yeah? So these are the two approaches. Now both approaches actually take place by nefesh and guf. By nefesh and guf, both approaches take place, which we're going to discuss about. Now, uh, one approach we said is when the mashpi, the mashpi, waters down, 
So let's take a muscle for that. The muscle for that is one muscle for that is Rav and Talmud, teacher and student. And again, we're talking about Rav and Talmud, which are Be'in Aroich. They're infinitely apart. And the Rav has a certain depth, the way the Rav understands, the way the teacher understands, which is way beyond the capacity of the student. There's no way the student could understand it. It's too deep. So the Rav will ordinarily need to water down the concept, remove the depth of the concept, and just deliver some external part of, of, of the concept that the teacher wants to deliver. So he's compromising on the Ashba. Sometimes it gets worse than that. Sometimes even after the teacher waters down the concept, the student still doesn't get it. Still too deep. So at that point, the teacher has no choice but to resort to what's known as a muscle. To find an analogy. An analogy which the student could relate to. And the muscle is not the concept that the teacher is teaching. It's only an analogy to the concept. It's, a, it's some foreign substance. It's some foreign concept. But it's something which the student could relate to and that way to have some connection to, to, to the larger the teacher wants to teach. Okay, so this is a muscle. Rav and Talmud is an example of one type of ashpah where the ashpah gets watered down to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to allow the student to, to, to understand at least part of the concept. So that's one approach. And this approach is known as hislapsus. That's one of the important words of this approach. Okay, hislapsus. The word hislapsus is from the word lavush. Lavush is garment. So there's a concept of hislapsus where the mashpia lowers himself down and clothes himself in the garments of the makabal of the receiver. That's hislapsus. And when you have the example of Rav and Talmud, that hislapsus might change from student to student. Because every person understands differently, everyone thinks differently. So the Rav will need to accommodate the way of thinking of every student. So there's a hislapsus. Hislapsus means where you, the hashpal gets lowered down according to the way of the student. Now hislapsus, in the example of Ramat Talmud, is a painful experience. Now, why is it painful? Who is it painful for? Huh? Who gets pain? The, it's painful for the teacher, for the Rav. It's a very painful experience. Because the, the teacher, the Rav, has a concept. It's a very deep concept. And the Rav wants to teach it to the student. He has a desire. Okay? 
but he knows he can't teach the depth of the concept because the student just won't get it. It'll confuse him. So he has no choice but to lower down the concept. Lowering down the concept is, is a painful experience. It's difficult to do. Because if you lower it down, you always have to remember not to change the concept. It has to remain the same concept that you want to deliver. But you have to take away, you have to peel away the depth of it. And that's very difficult to do. And it's painful because ultimately you're not really delivering the full depth of the concept. And that's a very painful experience on the part of the teacher. But that's the concept of islapsus. Islapsus means the mashpia lowers down the hashpa according to the level of the receiver. Another word that's used in this system is tzimtzum. Tzimtzum means hiding and lowering down a, a level, a concept. It's tzimtzum. So we use two words for this. One is islapsus and uh, one is tzimtzum. Simpson is watering down. He slaps us as in clothing the concept, accommodating the concept to the student. That's he slaps us. So this is one format of hashpa between mashpi and makabel, bein infinitely apart, where the hashpa gets watered down to accommodate the, the, the makabel, the receiver, the student. Then there's a second system. The second system is there's no accommodation. The hashpa is as is. An example for that is the oir hashemesh, the light of the sun. The sun is giving a hashpa of light, of heat. And in this hashpa of the sun, the rays of the sun, in this hashpa there's no tzimtzum. The sun doesn't say, let me accommodate. I don't want to put too much light. It's not good for the person's eyes. So I'm just going to give a certain amount of my light over here, a little bit more light over there. There's no accommodations. There's no tzimtzumim. The oil Hashemish says, I'm going to shine. Period. There's no islapsus. It doesn't enclose itself to the receiver. It just shines. The Yashemesh says, I couldn't care less if you block my sun, my shine. If you put a curtain, you put a cloud, I couldn't care less. Or take away the cloud, take away the curtain. It makes no difference. I'm shining. Okay? And I'm shining, I'm affecting. But the receiver, the Makambo, doesn't absorb, doesn't grasp that response. And that's a difference, one of the differences between Oyer HaShemesh, the light of the sun, and the Hashpah of Rav and Talmud. By Rav and Talmud, the assumption is after the teacher teaches the students, he walks away. The assumption is, do the students still get the concept? We would like to assume yes, they get the concept. Otherwise, it hasn't been successful. Okay, so the Ashpa actually changes the way of thinking of the Makabal because there's Islapsus. And if there's Islapsus, so the receiver absorbs it. There's what's called Tfisa, Tfisa of the Makabal. Tfisa means you grasp it, you internalize it. There's Tfisa, there's grasping. But by the Oyer the light of the sun, 
That's a different system. Over there, when the, as long as the light of the sun is shining in the room, the room is bright. The sun goes away. What happens to the light of the sun? It's not there anymore. Why isn't it there anymore? It was just there before. Yeah, it was there before. Of course it was there before. But it was there in a way where it doesn't accommodate, it's not meant to change the receiver. It's shining, it's a certain revelation of the sun. As long as that lasts, it lasts, it goes away, it disappears. So, so this hashpah is known also as makif. Makif, the word makif means surrounds. Makif is the opposite of hislapshus. Hislapshus means internalizes. Again, in the example of Rav and Talmud, teacher and student, there's hislapshus. Where, the, where the, the, the logic goes into the mind of the student and the student grasps it, he's typhuses, he grasps it. He relates to it. Another word, way of saying this, he relates to it by from Pnimi, in an internal way. He understands the concept. It changes his life, changes his way of thinking. But by the Oyer Hashemish, the sun, that example, that light that's shining is makif. We call it makif. Makif means it surrounds. Surrounds means the receiver does not internalize it. So as long as the light is shining, it's shining. The light goes away, the sun goes away, there's nothing left. Because to begin with, there was only a hashpa of makif. Literally surrounding. There was no pnimi there. There's no islapsus there. So these are two general systems of Ashba. One system is oil pnimi, he slaps us, and one is oil makif, the surrounding light. Now we're going to get to the nefesh and the gulf. But before we speak on nefesh and gulf, let's just uh, go over some of the points we spoke about in the past. Uh, we spoke about the fact that uh, it says, we say in davening, Va'atom mechayes kulam. Hashem is mechayes kulam. So what does it mean that Hashem gives mechayes kulam? It doesn't just mean that Hashem delivers life to everything, otherwise it's dead. There's something deeper over here. What's the deeper? Well, that's something else, yeah. Hashem is the life of everything. It's not just that He gives life. Hashem is the life of everything. Whenever you see life, when you detect life, that's Hashem. Only Hashem is Chaim. Nothing else is alive. Everything else is dead. When there's life, that life is the life of Hashem. So we say this in davening, Vatam Mechayas Kulam, Hashem is the life of everything. So when, when you understand what that means, and when you connect to that, it affects you. When you appreciate, when you understand that Hashem is our life, the life of everything, and our life, so you have to know it, it works both ways. Hashem is the life of everything, but everyone has to know I'm part of everything. Hashem is my life also. My whole life is Hashem. The life of everything is Hashem. 
Any life you see, it's all Hashem. Yeah, there's a cover-up where you might not detect it's Hashem because there's a, there's a cover. But the reality is that life is Hashem. So when we say, in you are the life of everything, that's meant to affect us. That's meant to impact us. And the impact of that is we get a certain degree of love to Hashem. If Hashem is my life, that generates a love to Hashem. That generates a certain amount of yield of awe towards Hashem. And it generates a certain amount of of I, I got to listen to Hashem. I got to follow what Hashem says. He's my life. He's the life of everything. Nevertheless, it's possible that we daven and we say the words kulam, and it has no impact in our lives. You just keep on praying. kulam, and you keep on going. Just keep on going. Like, you know, it's late. Let's keep on going. But one second, you miss the point. The point of saying Latim Cheskun was to change our lives. And yet, you could say those words and nothing happens. So, one of the reasons for this is that when you say the words Va'atim Cheskun, you give life to everything, you could know the information. You might even be able to understand it. But if you don't focus on it, you won't be able to connect to it. It's not sufficient to know it or even understand it. You need to focus on it. And that way you could connect to the concept. And the only way you could focus on this is when you break it down to details and you spend time and energy understanding what that means in its details. And the only way you'll be able to understand the details and connect to it is if you find a muscle for it. A muscle means we have to find an analogy, something that we could relate to in a more visible way, in a way that we could experience more. When you find a muscle and then you throw back, you go back to the nimshul, then you could connect to the concept. So when you're saying, is the life of everything, okay, will that make an impression on your life? If you keep on going, maybe not. But if you pause, either before davening or during davening, or sometimes or on Shabbos, and you really focus and you learn about what this means, and you find a muscle, and there are mishalim, and you learn the muscle, the analogy, and you focus on the details, and then you go back to the to the nimshal, to the analog, then you start really seeing it from all angles. You start focusing. Then you start connecting. And when you connect to it, then it has an impact on life. That generates a certain degree of feelings, of passion towards Hashem. You start realizing that this is real. Let's take an example of of uh, food. Okay, an example of food. So uh, this, is, this is the story of the food. Okay, uh, a person wakes up in the morning and, and the person is hungry. Okay, you're hungry, so you go to breakfast, you eat food, and you're not hungry anymore. 
before you ate breakfast, you were hungry, you were weak. You, you haven't eaten so much, so you're weak. You need more energy. You're hungry. Eat breakfast. Ah, not hungry anymore. Energized. Okay? So, so then we get to the question, you know, how do you eat food? Like, how does food work? You could eat food where you actually miss the whole point of eating. You miss, a, you miss the point of what's really going on. And in a certain way, in a subtle way, this might smack on idolatry. If you eat the wrong way, in a, certain, in a subtle way, it's almost idolatry. Okay, let me tell you what I mean. A person eats food and you say, before I ate the food, I was weak. I ate the food, I have strength. So who gave me strength? Ah, the food, the nutrients of the food gave me strength. That's almost avoid the It's almost idolatry. Since when does food give a yid strength or anything strength? I thought Hashem is the one who gives us strength. Who gives energy? Hashem. But I forgot about Hashem. And I thought, the food gives me energy. The food gives me energy? That's almost idolatry in a subtle way. Okay? Idolatry means there are other forces outside of Hashem that impact my life or impact reality. That's idolatry. We say Hashem Echad. Hashem Echad means Hashem is exclusively in charge of the world. Every yashpa is exclusively from Hashem. The word echad has three letters. There's the ches. What's the numerical value of ches? Eight. Eight is up and down because there are seven skies, right? And dalit, what's the numerical value of dalit? Four sides, right? And we know all sides, up, down, it's all the aleph. What's the aleph? That's Hashem, one. Aleph is Hashem, right? The only reality is Hashem. You can look in all directions, up and down. The, the reality is all Hashem. So when you eat food, it's not the food that gives energy. It's the life of Hashem that Hashem puts in the food. It's the life of Hashem that gives us energy, not the food. So therefore, to remember that, we say a bracha before we eat. One of the reasons we say bracha is to remind ourselves what's going on over here. We're about to eat, okay? And after we eat, we have to say the after bracha. Because we have to remind ourselves the food doesn't give us life. Hashem gives us life. He chose to do it through, through the food. But it's the life of Hashem. So you can have two people eating. One person eats, and uh, the same as an animal. Okay? How does an animal eat? You know, an animal is hungry or whatever. It likes to eat, eat. A person could eat like an animal. You know, I'm hungry. And forget about Hashem. Chas The other way of eating is, eating is a, is a spiritual experience. You know, you put on tefillin, Tefillin is connection to Hashem. Eating is a connection to Hashem. One reason is, it's part of Avoidus Hashem. Avoidus Hashem means I'm serving Hashem. 
Why am I eating? To be able to serve Hashem. That's why I'm eating. Okay, that's already a holy act, eating. It's part of serving Hashem. But in addition to that, the food that we're eating is a gift from Hashem. It's a gift. Hashem is giving us a gift. So let's take the analogy of um, of uh, someone, uh, a parent gives a gift to a child. Birthday, you know, six years old, birthday present, a gift to the child. So the child could have two reactions. One reaction is, which used to be the case, thank you, Tati, thank you, Mommy. Beautiful, thank you. I see you love me so much, thank you. There could be another reaction. Is that what I wanted? I don't want that, I want something else. <laughs> okay. So, so what's the difference? You know, when you get a gift, you gotta, you know, what's the gift about? If the gift is an expression of the love the parent has for the child, a celebration of the birthday, so the child is going to dance. Baruch Hashem, thank you so much. But if the child is not thinking about the, that, what a gift means, the child is losing touch of the reality of, of what, what the gift really is. Right? So then the child says, that's not what I wanted. You, 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 you messed up. You forgot. You don't realize what's going on over here. So... Um, and always like this, let's say in different words. When the child complains about the gift, the child is thinking about himself. And the child is thinking the gift is like going to a store and buying something. It's like a purchase. What do you buy? You buy what you feel you want or what you need. That's what you buy. So the child is thinking, you know, the gift is about what I need. It's like taking care of what I need. So this is not what I want. But that's not what a gift is. A gift is an expression of the love of a parent, which should be celebrated. Uh, just uh, yesterday, um, uh, someone gave a dollar from the Rebbe to someone else. A grandmother gave a dollar from the Rebbe to, to a granddaughter. So try to imagine the feeling of the grandchild. The Rebbe's dollar, you know, emotional. You know, it's like with tears in the eyes. It's like unbelievable. Mamish the Rebbe's dollar. So imagine the grandchild saying, just one dollar. <laughs> what could I buy with one dollar? <laughs> I mean, you missed the point. This is the Rebbe's dollar. What, what are you saying? Okay. When we eat food, so you have to ask yourself, what is it? One way is it's a gift from Hashem. Hashem loves us. He's giving us a gift. Thank you, Hashem, for the gift. The other way is, I'm hungry. The food is, it has nutrients. It tastes good. It has enough sugar. I enjoy it. Hashem is not part of the picture. Okay? And the food wasn't maybe good enough. It didn't have enough spices. Okay? But, but, but you can eat it in a different way. You can eat it in a way that's a gift from Hashem. Hashem loves me so much. He's giving me food. So when, when Hashem gives us life, 
He gives us life in different ways. Number one, He is our life. Our whole life is Hashem. But then Hashem gives us food, so we should be alive. That life is also from Hashem. So when we say, You are the life of everything. That means, not the food. The food is not my life. You're the one that's the life of everything, not the food. It goes through the food. Yeah, Hashem says, eat the food, and that's how you're gonna, I'm going to give you your life. But it's Hashem's life. That's how we're alive. So Hashem is our life. The food is our life. And for that matter, everything we have. So how could it be that we say, and it doesn't impact our life? It's meant to change our life. And I'm just using one example from, from the sinner. I mean, the whole sinner is all about this. But I'm just picking on one example. How could this not affect us? So one of the reasons is because we could maybe know it and understand it. But if we don't focus on it, and focusing means thinking about this again and again. Focusing means you find a muscle, an analogy. And through the analogy, you'll understand the analog. And that's why we're discussing now the muscle, a muscle for this. And the muscle is nefesh and guf. The nefesh gives life to the guf. Hashem gives life to all of creation, to ourselves. The nefesh gives life to the guf. The more we understand the analogy of nefesh and guf, the more we'll appreciate what does it mean and then this could impact our life because we connect to it because we really focus on it we study the muscle we go to the details then this could impact our lives now it doesn't mean necessarily that in the middle of davening you start thinking about it for a long time this is something you try to prepare before davening again as an example and then by the, when you get to davening, you could spend a couple seconds thinking about this. And on Shabbos, even longer. And again, I'm using this as an example to understand what davening is about. Davening isn't just to say words. Everything in davening is meant to change our lives. Okay, so now getting back to nefesh and guf, which is the muscle to understand the nimshal. And uh, this is based on a statement of the sages. The sages say that just as the nefesh fills the guf, the soul fills the body, likewise Hashem fills the world. So this is actually an analogy from the sages. The sages give this analogy. But if you want to understand how Hashem fills the world, gives life to the world, you have to look at the analogy of a nefesh and guf, a soul and a body. So we said there's two types of hashpa that the nefesh gives to the guf. Two types. One is general and one is detailed. The general Hashpah of the nefesh is the nefesh keeps the goof alive. The body is alive. The nefesh goes into the goof, it goes into the body, the body is alive. Now this life of the nefesh, which then gets to the goof, is this equal 
to every part of the body, or is it different? It's equal. The fact that the goof is alive is equal. You can't make a statement and say, well, the head is more alive than the finger. No, it's all alive. Either it's alive or it's dead. The life is equal to every part of the body. Okay? That's one hashpa which never goes to the goof. But then there's another hashpa. We hear everything is different. The nefesh gives understanding to the brain. Vision through the eye. Hearing through the ear. Movement through the hands. And so on. That's another type of ashpa from nefesh to gulf. And in this ashpa, everything is different. Every part of the body gets a different ashpa. So, so that these are the two hashpas that the nefesh gives to the gulf. One is a general one, where all parts of the body are equal. And the other one is very individualized. Every part of the body gets a different hashpa. Now, the first hashpa, where everything is equal, it has a name. It's called chayis kloli. Chayis kloli, kloli with a chaf. General life. Chayis Kloli, where the nefesh gives a general life to the whole body, equally. The second ashpa, where every part of the body gets a different ashpa, understanding and vision, that's called Chayis Prati. That's individual life, where the nefesh zeroes in individually in different parts of the person to give an ashpa. So let's spend a moment speaking about Chayis Prati. Let's think about that for a second. Um, when a person understands through the brain and the person sees through the eye, so what's actually taking place? Does the physical eye have the power of vision? Does the physical brain have the power of understanding? Does the physical ear have the power of hearing? The answer is no. The physical brain cannot understand anything. And, and a, a person is dead, okay? The brain is intact, and, and the brain doesn't understand anything. The eye is intact, the person doesn't see anything. The eye can't see, the eye is physical, can't see. The brain is physical, can't understand. Understanding is not in the physical organs of the person. Vision is not part of... This is the nefesh. The soul is understanding through the brain. The, the soul, the nefesh is seeing through the physical eyes. So it's the nefesh that sings, the soul that sings through the physical eyes. The nefesh is hearing through the physical ears. Which really means that the nefesh, the soul of a person, has a power of vision. The nefesh of the person has a power of hearing, a power of understanding, a power of feeling, a power of action. These are all powers of the nefesh. Now these powers, these koiches of the nefesh, at which point of the nefesh, of the nefesh history, 
did the nefesh receive these powers? Are these powers something which the nefesh receives only when it enters the physical body, but not before that? Or do these powers exist in the nefesh before the person is born, before it goes to the physical body? When do the nefesh, when does nefesh contain these powers? So the answer is, before the person is born, before the nefesh comes to the gulf. The nefesh already has a power of vision before, the, before it enters the physical eye, the physical body. Before we were born, where was our neshama? We were upstairs, whatever upstairs means. Okay, we were in Gan Eden, whatever Gan Eden means, but that's who we are. Did our nefesh have the power of vision in Gan Eden? Yes, it did. Could it hear? Yes, it could. Not physical vision, not physical hearing, but real hearing, real vision, real seeing, which is spiritual. What did the nefesh see upstairs in heaven? It saw godliness. What did it hear? It heard godliness. What did it understand? Godliness. What did it feel? Godliness. In a spiritual way. Then the neshama comes down to the physical body. So now the power of vision becomes blind. The power of hearing becomes deaf. In a certain way. The power of vision becomes blind. You don't see anymore. Ruchnius. Now what do you see? Only Gashmius. You don't hear Ruchnius. You only hear Gashmias. Which is, by the way, when it comes to Yitzchak Avinu, Yitzchak, when he was getting older, he became blind. So in, the, in, in Talmudic terminology, there's an interesting way of calling someone blind. Okay, the, the terminology is sagi noho. Noho means light, sagi means a lot. A lot of light, sagi no. The guy's blind. Sagi no, a lot of light. So simply, it would mean like you don't want to embarrass the person, he's blind, he can't see. So you just say sagi no, yeah, a lot of light. But it's much deeper than that. Because by Yitzchok Avinu, his blindness really meant now he was able to see. He was blind from Gashmias. But he reached such a spiritual state that he could see the Ruchnias. Similar to the way the Neshama sees Ruchnias before we come to physical body. So Yitzchok Avinu, he became blind physically. But that means he was able to see spiritually much more. That's why it's called Sagino. That's the real concept of blind in a positive way is that he has a lot of light. He could see much more than the average person because he could see spiritually. Would that mean that he would be able to distinguish the, like, nefesh shot between uh, Yaakov and... Uh, oh, okay, good point. You know, Yaakov walks in. Okay, he sees Gan Eden. Asa walks in and he sees Ganem. He smells Ganem. Right, it's, it's a different vision. It's a much deeper vision, spiritual vision. So when the nefesh comes down here, 
So the power of vision of the nefesh now has to change its expression from seeing spiritually. Now it has to start seeing physically. Okay, it's going to go through a physical eye to see physically. So who's going to see? The nephesh, the power of vision. But it's going to go through the physical eye. That's how the person will see it. It'll go through the channels of the physical eye. That's why a person should go to the eye doctor to make sure, you know, that his eyes are okay. Because it goes through the physical eye. And everyone should be able to see Bagashmias and Baruchnias. Like no one should pray to have... Uh, to copy Yitzchak Avinu, you know, everyone should be able to see. But also to see deeper. We have to pray to see deeper also. Okay, so the, the koyach, a vision of the nefesh, has to go into the physical art to see Begashmias, and that's an entire project, how that happens. How does a, a koyach, a vision of the nefesh, which is spiritual, how does it go into the physical eyes and now see in a physical way? How does that happen? That's a big project. That's a whole experience. That's a whole, a whole, there's a whole method of doing that. There's many steps to that. If we have to say all those steps in one word, that one word would be, he slaps us. With the koyach of vision of the nefesh has to be mislabish and clothe itself into the physical eye. And there's a lot of tzimtzum over there. Okay, there's a whole system. But the more we understand the system, the more we could appreciate v'yato mechayes kulam. Okay, so we'll stop over here. And when Mashiach comes, we'll see that Hashem is the life of everyone, of everything. But that's not all we'll see. We'll say, how come I didn't realize it was Hashem the whole time? Like we saw the life of Hashem. We saw it. We missed it. We didn't see it. We saw it, but we didn't catch what it was. So Mashiach should come today in Rosh and then we'll see that Hashem is the highest of the whole world, plus more.